0: And uh, Steve, appreciate that so much this morning. And I would hope that you would take just a few minutes, to go downstairs afterwards and see what the ladies are doing. Uh, I, I came in a couple times during the week here and it was like a beehive down there. I uh, mean, they were just busy, no time to talk, no time to chit chat. They were just at their machines and they were sewing and this thing or another. And so uh, it was enjoyable to see the ladies having a great time of fellowship. And a blessing, but uh, some of the projects are done, and some of the projects are still the projects, uh, still in the works, but uh, I'm sure that you will enjoy them. Let's turn back in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 15, and we'll be bouncing around a little bit this morning. The title of the message is Self-Destruct. Self-Destruct. Now, it has been said that bitterness is a cancer of the soul that destroys the individual and those around them. Many individuals have destroyed their lives, their marriages, family, and friendships. As the key verse from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 states, many thereby be defiled. So we have this nonsense idea that when we choose to sin or allow sin to enter into our lives, that it only affects us, the individual. And that is not what the Bible teaches. It is not what experience shares. Nothing can be further from the truth. Sin always has some effect on or in the lives of those close to us and to some degree those who are around us. If the husband is not walking with the Lord, it's going to be reflected in the wife and and the children. If the parents aren't walking with the Lord, it's going to reflect in the children's lives. And so sin has a devastating effect, especially first and foremost on those closest and then those who may be a little bit more distant. So the warning is clear, bitterness bitterness is an all-consuming emotion that becomes the primary measuring stick against every aspect of which life is held and found unacceptable. Bitterness is, in in the life of a Christian, an absolute no-no. Can it creep in? Yes. Should it remain there? Absolutely not. Amen? And so, I have known folks, who are bitter towards God because they have determined that life has been unfair to them. And it is all God's fault. They tend to look at the lives of others, saved or unsaved, and have concluded that God has favored others over them, including the unsaved. Others have better jobs. They have better homes. They drive better cars. They have better spouses. They they dress nicer and on go the complaints against God. There are a number of pathways to bitterness, such as grief. Our perception of unfairness, of injustices, economics, laziness, hurts, to name a few, emotional perspectives that will lead us into a a realm of bitterness. A biblical perspective on life is that we can allow the things that we face in our life to make us bitter, bitter people, or to make us better people. Amen? And so it's amazing how quickly we forget this. And when something comes into our lives, we become very bitter. God wants for us to be better for the experiences that we have had to deal with. And we, and, and, and we see this in the lives of some biblical characters that we'll look at here in just a few moments. Father, we pray that you will guide and direct. And Lord, open our eyes we may see and hear the things that we need to see and hear. Lord, it may be that bitterness is something that just kind of comes in and goes out. The Lord, Lord, is kind of on a revolving door. It doesn't take much, but Lord, bitterness finds its way. Lord, it may be that we've been harboring uh, some sort of bitterness uh, for for a very long time. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you guide and direct and help us to realize that, Lord, there are things that ought not to be a part of the Christian's life because of the destruction that it does not only to ourselves, but to those around us. And so, Lord, may you be honored, may you be glorified, may you be uplifted through the message this morning, and may we all be drawn to you for the solution and for the answers. pray now these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have some biblical examples of bitterness uh, and uh, the spiritual handicap that is uh, the result of it. Now, the truth of the matter is we may deny it, but we can't ignore it. We may attempt to hide it, but it will find its way to the surface on its own. And so we see that God never places anything in the Bible that isn't there for a reason, especially the experiences of, his, uh, experiences of historical characters and our text under consideration today. So this topic is so important because it hinders the work of it also hinders the power of God in our lives. Now you say, well, it doesn't hinder, I, I, I got a little bit of bitter, I have a little bit of animosity in my life here, it hasn't, I still go to church, and I still read my Bible. You're doing a good job hiding it. But the truth of the matter is, it does hinder the power of God on our lives. God cannot operate, God cannot function in our lives and our hearts where bitterness exists. I mean, you wouldn't want to live in a house where a lot of bitterness exists, would you? Not by any stretch of the imagination. And you've got to realize that God doesn't want to live in that kind of environment either. Now, I'm, I'm thankful that he indwells us, but uh, I know that when we get into those uh, bouts of bitterness in our lives that uh, he probably wants to vacate if he could. So uh, we have some biblical examples. and I, The first one i look at is Naomi. Na, Naomi from the book of Ruth. Uh, and her name means pleasant. And when she and her family left Israel, life was Well, I'm not going to say it was great, but it was good. But they were experiencing famine, and so Elimelech, her husband, decided he's going to pack up his wife and pack up his two sons, and they're going south to Moab where there was no famine down there. Well, he, he could have, and I don't know what I would have done. But I would like to think, as I look on the situation, that I might have said, you know what? God's going to provide, we're going to stay put, we're going to stay right here, and God's going to take care of us. Now, he did take care of many of those who did stay there and didn't go anyplace else. But nonetheless, she had a husband. She had two sons and, in time, two daughters-in-law. So there in Moab, say, you know, think about pull those poor people back in Israel, pull poor, poor people back in Judah and Benjamin. We've got it pretty good down here. Our hubby's got a job. We've got food on the table. i got two daughter-in-laws. I, the things, life is just great. But life was not kind in Moab. Her husband and two sons died there in the land of Moab. And so we read in in the book of Ruth, chapter 1 and verse 20, and Ruth and and, uh, Naomi and Ruth have uh, made the trek back to to Judah and Benjamin. And Ophrah, she has stayed there and gone back to her family, gone back to the idolatrous system that existed there. But uh, as uh, Ruth began to... Interact with the uh, people that uh, she had lived with before. And uh, they called her Naomi, which means that we said blessed. And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Now God never gets bitter. We get bitter. We get bitter with God. And so she is expressing her own heart. She said, I'm very bitter with how God has treated us. Naomi's bitterness caused her to make a poor decision, as we see in Ruth chapter 1. If we can just turn back there very quickly. Well, So in uh, those those couple of verses there, verses eight and nine. Now it was a poor decision to have gone down there first. I don't have we don't have any indication of whether Elimelech, the leader of the home, prayed about the decision that they made. You can assume one way or the other. But in verse eight it says, and Naomi said unto her two daughters in law, she had brought these two Moabites who were idolatrous. Brought them into the home and, and probably and undoubtedly taught them the Jewish tradition, the Hebrew. I believe Ruth probably came to be a believer in God Jehovah. Oprah, I don't know. But rather than bringing them both back to Benjamin and Judah, where they would have been better off, They would have been in the presence of a nation that loved the Lord, taught the Lord, and where God was the heartbeat of the people. She sends them back. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, go, return each to her mother's house the Lord dearly kind with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me the Lord grant you that she may find rest each of you in the house of her her husband then she kissed them and they lifted up their voice and, and wept now she was sending them back not only to the people but to get married with godless men whom she should have said I want you to meet some good godly men and take them with you well Ruth by the grace of God chose to go with her Jonah was already a bitter man, chosen by God to go preach in the He did not like the Ninevites, and the Ninevites didn't like the Jews. There was no love for the Ninevites by the Jews, and Jonah did not see any just reason for him to obey God. And when the Ninevites uh, 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 sent him to warn the Ninevites, uh, God can be very persuasive at times, amen? Because Jonah ran. I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to preach to these people. They're godless. They're pagans. They're heathens. Why would I want to go there and see them uh, come to a a faith in you? And so he, like many of the Jews, were very bitter. And uh, God sent a fish along, a big fish, that swallowed up Jonah. And Jonah Jonah decided that I think I'd rather eat the fish than the fish eat me. And so God spewed out, had the fish spew out Jonah. And Jonah preached to the, to the city of Nineveh. And a great revival broke out. In that, wonderful, in that pagan, heathen, godless place, a, a, a great revival broke out. And, and Jonah was so not excited. Right. In fact, he was just the opposite. He was angry. He didn't think they deserved salvation. He didn't think that they deserved to have a repentance to, uh, accepted by God. And so Jonah permitted his resentment of the Ninevites to grow into bitterness. And, and the results of the warning, if we can look in the book of Jonah. And in Jonah, chapter 2 and verse 10. Uh, and the Lord spake unto the fish, And it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Jonah was convinced, I better do what God wants me to do, whether I like it or whether I don't like it. Then we look into chapter 3, and we look at verses 1 through 2. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it uh, the preaching that I bid thee. And he did exactly that. And so, but for God's grace, thousands would have perished if Jonah had, had, had had his way. Bitterness blinded Jonah to the real need of the Ninevites. What they needed was God. And sometimes those people that we have a hard time accepting, folks, they would be different if they knew God. Many of those individuals that we would rather not witness to or share the gospel with, that's the one thing that they need is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Bitterness may keep us from doing that or dislike for someone may cause us to do that as well. But as a result of Jonah being obedient, thousands of those Ninevites will be in heaven because of Jonah. Now it was God who worked through him and he preached what God told him to preach. But folks, that's what we're supposed to all do anyway. Which brings us to the second point, the root of bitterness in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. And verse 15 says, Look in diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, thereby many be defiled. Now, interestingly enough, when we think of something with roots, we tend to immediately think of uh, a plant or, or tree that has roots. And we know that the roots are really important, don't we? If the roots aren't secured or if the roots uh, they don't have the right appropriate nutrients, that it's going to be a stunted growth or it's going to die uh, in, in its process. Uh, and so that is something that we understand. We understand roots from which things spring from. Now, roots are important to a plant, for it is the lifeline of what is planted, whether... That which is planted is good or, or, or not good as weeds. And uh, weeds must have a purpose. I, I'm not sure what weeds' purpose are. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of weed that people smoke. I'm not about weeds that make gardening difficult and hard. All right? And so weeds must have a purpose. God created them if for no other reason than to try our souls when gardening. But I am not bitter over weeds. I just don't plant a garden. All right? And so the root of bitterness really is hurt. Someone has hurt me. They said something. Or they did something. Or they cheated me out of something. Or it could be any number of reasons what what has happened in our lives. And there is a hurt. And that hurt remains. And it begins to fester. And it begins to have the roots grow deep. And we become very bitter uh, toward that thing or that, that, that set of circumstances or that individual in our lives. And so... The root of bitterness is hurt, and someone has has said something, uh, and it says you've been hurt by what was said or done. It may have been intentional. Someone has said something, and you've been hurt by what was said or done, and you know it was you know it was intentional. It might have been someone who is a brother or sister in the Lord, it may have been a neighbor, it may have been a co-worker. It may have been an inadvertently. They may not even know that they hurt you. They said something, and sometimes uh, we might might have a, a problem with uh, foot and mouth. Uh, we tend to say something before we engage our mind, and uh, we don't. We, we just go on, never never realizing how it impacted someone else uh, or the, the individual to whom we were speaking. But uh, other times, it's only it, it may only be imagined that you're not sure if you really heard what they said or not. But we have to understand that some people in this world are just mean people. (laughs) Or they're just nasty, mean people. they're very bitter people within. And so other times it may be the chastisement of God in our life. Things are said or things are done and God is chastising us. Elimelech, for example. He went down into Moab. He should have stayed in his homeland. Had trust and confidence that God would take care of him and God would see him through. But he didn't do that. He, like Lot decided he would solve the problem himself. And he passed away in Moab, and his two sons passed away. And God brought back at least the two important people, Naomi and Ruth, brought them back uh, to the homeland. But we look in uh, chapter 12 of Hebrews and verse 15, it says, Looking diligently lest any man fail. Of the grace of God. Now this this series that we've been looking at is, is spawned itself from Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 25 talking about God's armory. and we know that we're going to come under attack. Satan's not going to, going to give us any rest. Satan's not going to give us any peace and so whatever whatever his weapons are we have an armory that we, we can go to and use and one of the one of those tools that armory, is God's grace. And it's important when he says here, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, uh, and thereby many be defiled. And so God may have to chastise us because of things that are going on in our lives that God wants us to jettison, to get rid of uh, uh, in our lives, if we're not willing to do it for whatever reason. And so uh, in that chastisement, God will cause or allow things to happen in our lives that will cause us to become very bitter, and so the roots of bitterness are events in our lives for which we refuse to forgive and give them over to God, and that's what bitterness really is. It's it's a it's a a, um, a wrong desire for sure, for us uh, to refuse to forgive and give those hurts over to God, and we've got to learn to do that. It's not easy, but. It is important that we do so for our, own, for our own spiritual maturity and for the spiritual maturity of those all around us. And so we also look at the soil of bitterness this morning. Everyone has at one time or another been hurt by somebody. Amen? Been hurt by a spouse, by a family member, or friends, or our tendency is to get angry and if we allow it to percolate, we begin to think in terms of revenge. That's what bitterness will cause us to do. Now, maturing Christians choose to rely on God's grace to deal with it and get over it. Amen? To deal with it and to get over it. However, those who hold on to their bitterness and they do not get over it, then their problems. are just going to escalate and they're going to get worse. And the worst of it all is that God can't use you the way he wants to use you. We can go on mechanically. But we can't always go on spiritually being guided and directed by the Spirit of God as much as we say, okay, I know I've got this obligation. I know I should be in church. I know I should read my Bible. And I know I should pray. And so we go through those things in a very perfunctory manner. But there is no real joy in the heart because the hurt's overriding it. The hurt is overshadowing the joy of doing those very things. And Jeremiah nails it. Uh, he nails the soil in which bitterness is harbored in Jeremiah seventeen nine through 10. Now, we're all familiar with that. We're going to parse it here a little bit this morning. The character of the human heart outside of God's grace is deceitful. Even as a child of God, if we're not in the Word of God on a regular basis, if we're not uh, in a fellowship of believers, we're not in a communion with the Lord on a regular basis there, then our heart is going to very easily and very, very readily... Uh, deceive us in many different ways but we know that from what Jeremiah wrote here that the heart is deceitful and it is wicked and it is desperate and so the question is posed when you look at verse 10 is who can know it? Who can know the human heart? See God knows what's in your heart right now. God knows how it got there and God knows what you need to do with it. (laughs) Alright? And so in verse 10, he said, I, the Lord, try the reins. The reins. Reins that controls. And God comes in. And he is trying the reins in our lives. He is trying to steer like you do with a horse or a buggy. You get the reins and it's all there for one reason. You kind of shift them around. You want the horse to go left? A little tug on the left, a little on the right. You want to stop, you pull them both back. So he wants us to know what he sees and what we need to see about the character of our hearts. So we exercise the grace, so we can exercise the grace of God in our lives. Blessings for those who exercise God's grace and deep troubles to those who do not or who will not. I'm going to hang on to this bitterness. I'm going to hang on to this grudge. And I'm not going to give it up. I've come across people, and I have known people since I've been here in the state of Vermont, who have these grudges. They have this bitterness. And it colors their relationship with certain people. Now, it is a harboring of the hurt from which every source that the hurt comes from will be affected one way or another. While we harbor the hurt, the roots go deep, and our attitudes grow from that disposition. It's amazing. And we don't even know that they're beginning to come to the surface. The roots are going deeper, but the evidences of the bitterness is beginning to rise to the surface. Bitter people are hard to be around. They tend to become critical in an attempt to justify the way they feel. Now, what they are after is to elicit a negative response from others so that they can further justify their position or their stand. And so they will engage into conversations that you may not agree with, especially the source of their bitterness or the reason for their bitterness. And so they think to themselves, it is as I thought so. And or I got you a moment in your life or I was right. I am right to be angry. I am right to be mad. I am right to be hurt. So if one is looking to find fault, they will find it, whether it is here at Calvary or some other place. If one comes here looking for Jesus, they will find Jesus. Amen. If they are looking for the inerrant word of God as our standard, they'll find it. But we're not going to tiptoe around sin if it exists in our, in our presence or home viewing or if we counsel someone that, that we might know who is dealing with this terrible sin of, of bitterness. And so people who harbor bitterness look for justification for holding on to their bitterness rather than the means of relinquishing it by God's grace. Lord, how do I get rid of this? There's a lot of things in our lives that we would like to God to get rid of. You've got a cold, want God to get rid of that. Maybe we're having a difficulty in this area over here, we want God to get rid of that. For some odd reason, this, this element of bitterness, we want to hang on to that for whatever reason. But nonetheless... They fail of the grace of God, and that's what that word, that little section in verse fifteen, it says, "Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God." Now, in that armory, that armory of God is full of grace. All that we'll ever need to deal with all the problems and all the difficulties of life, we have the the, the equipment in that armory. God has put it there by grace, and when we try to handle these things in our, own, in our own flesh, then we fail of the grace of God. If we choose to hang on to that bitterness or that anger we hang on to that hurt, then that is a failing of God's grace. That is to say God's provisions that will help us to get over that bitterness or that anger or that hurt. Now the word fail means to be behind uh, is what the idea, is the idea that one should be mature in their spiritual growth, but yet they are not. And so they will fail of the grace of God. Whereas if we take the grace of God and we give it to God and we ask God to guide and direct us into the area of forgiveness and to forget it, then the grace of God begins to take hold. I want to share something here in the ending here in just a moment. I think that will drive that point home. But a sure sign of spiritual immaturity is refusing to let bitterness go. There is no justification to refuse God's grace in this matter, not, not at all. There's no reason to, to, to uh, reject God's grace and to be able to move forward without being hunkered down. Now, what I'm saying here is that simply that once we become bitter toward a person, then that means that every time we see that person, it all bubbles to the surface again, doesn't it? It's always going to be there. And we should be able to go through our daily life and our daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and if we see them when we come across them, not have all that stuff You know, kind of a stuff curling up. But we should want God's best. if salvation is the best, then praise God for that. If, it, if it's a, a restoration uh, through repentance, John first uh, 1 John 1:9, 1, then praise God for that. But God wants us to become probably the, 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 uh, the most faithful prayer warrior for that individual who has caused the hurt. And so bitterness is a devastating sin, as I mentioned earlier. Bitterness doesn't stay underground like other roots usually do. It'll manifest itself in other areas of our lives, how we walk, how we talk, what we think, the ability of God to use us or not to use us. So, few will admit that they are bitter. They'll hide it or deny it, but, uh, but not for long. Because, as I said, it will manifest itself in some way of uh, a hypercriticalness and, uh, or uh, uh, a lack and a failure to uh, love one another as we ought to love one another. But hate and holiness cannot, nor will it dwell in the same heart at the same time. You can't have hate and holiness existing in this thing at the same time. Ephesians chapter 4. And looking in verses 26 and 27. Paul said, be angry and what? And sin not. Let not the sun go down upon upon your wrath. Because what you do when you, when you fit, fail to do that is, verse 27, neither give place to the devil. When you choose to harbor bitterness, you are giving place to the devil in your life. When you allow God's grace to bring healing, wow, joy takes its place in our hearts. So the point is this, is to keep keep the, the account short. Don't drag it along with you through the days and through the weeks and through the months and through the years and to the point where you're in the grave. Get that bitterness out of your individual's hearts. Now, because of God's grace, we can do what God expects of each and every one of us. Uh, and I believe one of the best definitions of great the grace of God is the desire and the ability to do the will of God. How many of you would say, I believe God wants me to harbor bitterness. I believe that God wants me to harbor this attitude of hatred. Anybody? No. And so what is the will of God? Regardless of how you may feel, the will of God is actually more important. And so... The, the, be, the best definition of the grace of God is the desire and the ability to do the will of God. And that's what he's getting at there in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse, and, and, uh, uh, and, uh, verse 5, uh, verse 15, I'm sorry, get there. Uh, so uh, uh, it will take the grace of God to forgive one for the bitterness, amen? If you're a bitter individual and you want to have forgiveness with God, then what do you have to do? you have to tap into the grace of God and he will if you are in sincerity forgive you and so you can get your heart right back with God and it is the grace of God that also reaches out and forgives the other person forgives them and so the idea is that we acknowledge it we give it up to God and we forget it and we move on with our lives. Easier said than done. Well, I believe the power of God's grace is able to do just that. Um, and I had uh, uh, brought down, uh, have anybody ever read the, any of the books by uh, Corey Tenboom? Have anybody read those books? Well, if you know, you know that she and her sister were, uh, during World War II, they helped many Jews to safety. But they get caught and they were put into internment camps. And you can only imagine in those internment camps what people went through. Uh, brutalized. Many were raped. Many were just so ill-treated, you, you and I couldn't even begin to imagine what these people went through. So one day, Cory Ten Boom was out speaking on a, an engagement. And after she had done speaking, this guy made his way forward towards her. And he asked her if she remembered him. And she said, how can I forget you? Your image and your face is indelibly imprinted upon my mind. I know who you are and I know what you did. He put out his hand and he said, I have become a Christian. And I want to ask your forgiveness. And in her words, if I can find the right place here, As I stood there, I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and could not. Betsy had died, that's her sister, in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? She added. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me, It seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Since the end of the war, Corey had started a home, in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was a simple, it was as simple and as horrible as that, she recalled of those in the home. Still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can't function regardless of the temperature of the heart. So in her pain, Corey turned to prayer. Jesus, help me. I pray silently. I can lift my hand. I I, I can do that much. You supply the feeling, she said. And she recalled the following interaction. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into his one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started to my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our, in our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. As a child of God, don't let any root of bitterness spring up in you and destroy your testimony and your joy in the Lord. Is there something or someone in your life for which you harbor bitterness? It is the will of God. I'm here to tell you this morning that it is the will of God that you get rid of it and the grace of God will enable you if you have a desire for God to work in your life. Let God reveal it and God's grace remove it and move on. See, God's grace is the weapon in God's armory to defend ourselves against the the, the, the darts of the devil. So let God reveal it. Let grace remove it let good replace it. Isn't that what it says there in, uh, as we close in uh, Hebrews chapter 12? Verse 14 says, Follow peace with what? Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Look diligently, lest any man feel of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you, and thereby defile many, or many be defiled. Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together. And, and Lord, I, I don't know how this message is received for those who are online, those here in the sanctuary, those who will perhaps maybe listen to the message at some point down the road. But Lord, the devil has learned so much over the years. And Lord, while we may think it's just one little thing. Lord, it is a thing, but it's not a little thing. It's a big thing. Bitterness will overwhelm many other areas in our lives. And as long as we hold on to that bitterness and as long as we hold on to that hurt, then we're chained to that event. We're chained to that person. And the joy of the Lord is not there. Lord, no one, no thing, let alone the devil, should be able to take away the joy of the children of God. So, Lord, no matter where I may be standing, with whom I might be standing, Lord, I I don't want to lose the joy of the Lord because of, of something that transpired. So, Lord, you guide and you direct in this invitation time today in a way that only you can. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Not a soul looking around. I have dealt with anger. We have dealt with anxiety. Today we have dealt with bitterness. And you say, I feel like I've been challenged this morning. I have been challenged to let it go. To trust in the grace of God to handle it. That I'm not going to let this individual or those people or that group or that thing take away my joy just because they're in my presence. Richard, would you pray for me in closing today? Yes. Richard, would you pray for me today? It's, it's hard, folk. I know it's hard. But understand that human nature harbors that bitterness when God says, let it go. Don't let it come between me and you. Now, I'm not talking about the loss of salvation. But I'm talking about the ability to be able to be used by God in ways that we couldn't possibly imagine because that, that thing that we have deemed as little is, 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 is really permeating what God can do rather than what he would, he would like to do. And maybe this one you're saying, preacher, I don't know if I've even got a home in heaven. I want you to know that God loves you. God wants his best for you. He wants you to spend eternity with him. And it's not that complicated. All you have to do is simply accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. You don't have to write a novel. don't have to write a big plan. Just come with a saving faith to the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I love you for loving me. And I want to become a part of your family. And accept him. Just accept him. And he knows your sincerity. And he'll put your name in that land's book of life. And you talk about a joy that overfloods the soul. That is one that will do it. Oh, well, Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together. Gathered around your throne of grace. Lord, there are many things in our lives. Sometimes they're just little things. Or at least we deem them little. But Lord, it's, it's, like, it's like having a pebble in a shoe on a hike. That if we want to be comfortable in the hike, we've got to get the stone out. we got to get the pebble out. It's a small thing. But we know it's irritating. It's bothersome. It's troublesome. And so, Lord, we take off our shoe and we get rid of the pebble. And, Lord, when it comes to hurts and to bitterness and it comes to anger, these are things that, Lord, we have to jettison. We have to trust in your grace to be able to forgive and to move forward and replace that, that anger and that bitterness with good because we are called to do good to all men lord may we be your true servants to serve you in this way now father won't you dismiss us with thy blessings we pray in the name of the father the son and the holy ghost and all god's people said Amen. Won't worry.